Lesson 6. How to find the open doors to what you want. To him who knocks, each door unlocks, and he who seeks shall find. Nothing can keep thee from thine own, save thine own slothful mind. Behold, I set before you an open door which no man can shut. That beloved writer, Orison Sweat Martin, quotes the above from the good book in one of his own good books, and I pass it on to you as a great and glorious fact. Whatever you really want is waiting for you, and the door leading to it is always and forever open. No man can close your door, and none but you can pass through it. These doors swing always outward to larger and larger vistas, to wider and wider fields, to greater and greater heights. Your house of life is a hall of many mansions, each more beautiful than the last, but less lovely than the next. Whether you choose to occupy only a few of the first small ones and confine your existence within their restricted limits, or whether you will pass onward, outward, and upward, constantly expanding, developing, and growing till you revel in the beauties and comforts of all, depends entirely upon you. It does not depend on what you have, but upon what you are. Some of the people who are richest in money exist in wretchedly pinched quarters inside this house of life, while some who are considered poor are living gloriously in theirs, so happy in its joys, its outlooks, and its furnishings that they hardly feel the lack of other riches. No man can make these people poor. Without a place to lay his head, such a one is rich. He is rich in the things that count. The man who possesses only money is never really rich. However, to be either of these extremes is not necessary nor desirable. The man rich in mental and spiritual development can attain leisure for fuller development and be able to help greater numbers of other men and women if he possesses enough of this world's goods to enable him to devote himself to others. The man rich in money is not necessarily poor in reality and need not remain so if he is. The most profitable investment for such a one would be to begin at once to devote whatever time, money, and energy are necessary to finding his way out of the spiritual two-by-four closets in which he has been living and into the large, sunny rooms that have been emptily waiting all these years. To find these wonderful rooms in our house of life, to achieve more fully, to get what we want, we must learn and apply the great truth that several doors lead to the room of our every desire, but every one is approached only from the adjoining rooms. There are no alleyways, shortcuts, no windows to be scaled from the outside, no way to reach or keep what we want save by passing through these adjoining rooms. We can speed up our passage almost unbelievably by the right kind of preparation, as we have shown in the preceding lesson, or we can travel so slowly that we never get beyond the anterooms near the front hall. That is entirely up to us. The hinges are built for one-way passage only. These wonderful doors swing out of the room you first occupy, and once you have passed through them to something bigger and better, you can never go back. 
achieved something worthwhile, and never again can you go back and be less than that achievement. By it, you have grown and are ready for something bigger. These doors are of different kinds, sizes, and shapes, but each one is a door of opportunity. Knox will not open these doors. A pull cannot keep one open very long. Push is the thing that does it quickest and swings it widest. Men constantly refer to their chances for advancement as openings, which they truly are. These swinging doors of opportunities are always found ajar. They are not locked, bolted, barred, or even latched. But to find them and swing them wide enough for you to pass through, you must do three things as follows. Look for them. Recognize them. Then push them open. You can stumble over the biggest chance of your life if you are not on the lookout for it. Then it cannot help you unless you recognize it. And after all this is attained, it can do you no good if you fail to act upon it. These are facts few people seem to know, and many of those who do know them do not know just how to go about it to take these three steps. To make plain the surprisingly simple methods whereby you can do so is the aim of this lesson, an aim that has been accomplished with such clarity that hundreds of men and women throughout this country give it the credit for their success in the everyday world of practical affairs. In the previous lesson, we explained preparation as the foundation for these three steps. When you have built this foundation by getting big enough for something better than you now have, be sure there will be plenty of openings for you. It is only the man who is not equal to them who lacks opportunities, and even he is surrounded by many he must forego because of his own inadequacy. Each one of us must admit that we have had many more opportunities than we took advantage of. To him who is prepared, chances are literally everywhere. Get all ready for a thing, and nothing under heaven except your own death can keep it away from you. I will give you two widely different illustrations of this law. Have you ever known a super sensitive, touchy person? A woman, perhaps, who is always expecting to have her feelings hurt, who is looking for slights, snubs, and other wounds. You who do not have this experience have often wondered why these hateful things were always happening to her. But you need wonder no longer, and you need not waste your time or energy trying to save her from a repetition of them. She brings them upon herself, and only she herself can ward them off. How does she do it? First. She is prepared, fully, every time she goes out for this very thing. She plans how she will act when it happens and what she will say when the blow falls. Second, she is on the lookout every moment for something of this kind. She is keyed to the highest pitch of expectation and, just as with a violin string, the more taut this tension, the less is required to set up a vibration. She is so concentrated on looking for something of this nature that she misconstrues the most innocent remarks, looks, and actions as criticisms of herself. By assuming this, she causes those who were entirely innocent even of thinking of her to ridicule her. They would stop if she ceased looking for it. 
Being prepared and on the alert for criticism, she has studied all of its manifestations and is able to recognize them instantly. She senses if two people suddenly cease talking at her approach. She recognizes the supposed meaning of their glances while she is with them and is painfully suspicious of whatever tones, smiles, or words are used when she leaves. If these are gleeful, she attributes it to the fun they are supposedly having at her expense. If she hears or sees nothing indicative of this, she concludes they are evidently too clever to betray themselves. And if by any chance her name is mentioned, she catches it clear across the room. Though their conversation be carried on in whispers so low that nothing else is distinguishable to her, this one word rings out clearly. She has now taken the four steps which form the foundation for what has occurred. Expectation, preparation, concentration, and recognition. She expects to be slighted, so she makes preparations for it. Being prepared to meet it, she keeps on the lookout for it. And by keeping on the lookout for it, she recognizes it when it isn't there as well as when it is. All these lead inevitably to the next step. She does something about it. In other words, acts on it. This action starts it all over again by recreating the conditions, reseeding the soil in her own subconscious. This keeps her chronically in the mood, and the mood keeps the seed alive and growing, not only in her own mind and body, but by suggestion, also keeps planting it in the minds of others. You can see plainly how this happens. When she hears someone mention her name, she instantly decides it must have been in criticism, and in one way or another, directly or indirectly, but inevitably, she displays her resentment, pique, anger, or hurt. All these are destructive moods and cause even one's best friends to be disgusted after a while until they too begin to grow tired and to avoid her. They naturally make explanations to others as to why they were compelled to do it, and this suggests the condition to a still larger circle. Those who were not her friends and who may perhaps have said or done things to wound her are only further antagonized by the reaction she gives to the gossip, while those who are neither friend nor foe are gradually moved to the opposition by her own actions, suspicious tendencies, and too sensitive nerves. These actions on her part complete the vicious circle and start all the trouble over again. What we expect, we prepare for. What we prepare for, we look for. What we look for, we are sure to find, and by reason of sharpened sensibilities, certain to recognize. Then when we recognize this thing which we have anticipated for so long, we act. This action is the ripened fruit of expectation. You can go one step farther back and see that our expectations are caused by our dominant moods. For those of you who would like a moment's review, I will go back to the real root of it all, the things that make our moods, our thoughts. Now, because we control our own thoughts, it is not difficult for any intelligent person to see that we directly and indirectly control our own lives and practically everything that happens to us. He who diligently seeks will find. He will find because there are several potential doors to each thing we want, and he will always discover at least one of these doors. If he seeks the good, he will find the good 
If he looks for the bad, he will find the bad. The good always find good in everybody. The bad always find the bad. Both good and bad qualities are in us all. What we bring out of ourselves and other people is the important thing. We always and forever bring out of people, out of life, out of our environment, out of ourselves, out of our future, on the whole, the very things we are on the lookout for. Lookout is the mother of bring out. What we bring out is the measure of our success or failure. I once knew a man who held a position where it was necessary for him to meet and deal with several thousand people a day. These thousands came nightly to a large auditorium where each naturally wanted the very best seat he could get. And it was this man's business to see that everyone got fair play. Equal rights to all and special privileges to none was the motto, and he did his best in the face of odds to see that it was carried out. Despite the unpleasant things that could have happened and those which certainly would had a touchy person been in charge, this man kept 99 out of every 100 happy, contented, and in a constructive frame of mind toward him. He looked for the best in everybody. Though 10 minutes before, he might have had to make them vacate the crowded aisle or get up from a nice soft seat on the stairway to stand or be turned away from the auditorium altogether in obedience to the fire ordinance, he always expected them to see why he had to do it and to like and respect him for it. He looked only for this kind of response from everybody. He recognized it as soon as it came and acted upon it to the extent of acknowledging it. He lived these rules and acquired not only immediate rewards as he went along, but by doing so, ultimately opened a still wider door for himself to larger opportunities and greater achievements. Make good, and somewhere, somehow, the world will find it out and give you something higher up. The slogan which, more than any other, helped me to see this and to get ready for bigger things was given in a speech to us high school students out in the Rocky Mountains one afternoon many years ago by Dr. Frank H.H. Roberts of the University of Denver. He said, Make every occasion a great occasion, for you know not when fate is taking your measure for a higher and better position in life. A thousand times since that day, I have gone to appointments with audiences and persons and met situations that were not up to my hopes. Many of these times, I have been very deeply immersed in something much more to my liking, and sometimes I have been tempted, just for this once, to prepare for it hastily, cut it short, or cancel it altogether. But as sure as I waver, this slogan comes to my mind and I pull myself together, make the best preparation I know how, and go in the spirit of one who is to meet not the person or audience or situation alone, but fate herself. That I have met her face-to-face -face on more than one of these occasions and have found her strangely missing when I supposed she and I had a rendezvous is the way of life. Looking back now, I can see, as anyone can who will look, the very days and hours when she took a hand in my affairs and swung wide some great door that I had vainly sought for a long time. Only yesterday there came to me through the mails something that looks insignificant to everybody else, but which is to me the crack line opening in a door I have sought for many years. Just enough light comes through that crack 
to reveal to me the wide and wonderful possibilities in the room to which it leads, and to convince me that they are worth all the risk in waiting. At the risk of making this lesson and the preceding one sound like a matrimonial record, I must tell you another true love story which proves the truth of the slogan above quoted. About two years after hearing Dr. Roberts and this every occasion slogan, I repeated it to a young woman friend of mine, and she put it to use too. Like every normal person, she was hoping someday to be married, but she was plain to the point of ugliness and had not much to recommend her in other ways. But she had one thing, persistence. I had met her 11 years later in Chicago, and though I had forgotten all about telling her my success slogan, she reminded me of it and said she was living by it just as nearly as she could. She was plainer than ever, but now she had learned what went best with her particular kind of plainness. She was still not intellectual in the least, nor did she pretend to anything of the sort. She stuck to the things she was interested in and made herself master of them. I know where I am most effective, she explained, and I concentrate on that. I also know what I can't do or be, and I let those things alone. I may never find a nice man to marry me, but I will have had a grand time looking for him anyhow. Merely living is a great game if you play it with all your might, as I am doing. I haven't had one single bow, but I'm not discouraged. I asked her for more details for I knew I was looking at one of the few young women I had ever known who was seriously, earnestly absorbed in self-improvement and who had a definite purpose. Well, she answered, to begin with, I do all the things I've just told you. In general, that is. Then, in particular, I have selected a line of work which brings me in contact with a large member of the finest men in the city of Chicago. Someday, I shall find the one who is meant for me. I never go anywhere without looking for him. I never go anywhere without being ready to meet him. I never go anywhere without expecting to meet him. Every time I dress to go to work in the morning, to a lecture or theater in the evening, or to church on Sunday, I try to realize he may be there, and I do everything just as I would did I know he would be. In other words, and between you and me, I always try to dress and act and talk and conduct myself as though my intended were watching me. I think of every occasion as a great occasion because of this. Ten years later, I talked with her again and yearned for the success on which her heart was still as firmly set as ever. I knew that if she was, way down deep, still looking and preparing, the man must appear someday, but oh, how I longed for him to come quickly. She was then nearing 40, still plain, but as a result of her years of effort and care, a truly distinguished-looking woman. In trying to live up to her ideal, she had developed a very attractive personality. This had won her an ever-widening circle of friends among the finest of the people she contacted in business. The last time I passed through Chicago, she introduced me to her home on Lakeshore Drive and to her handsome, devoted husband. We were married the very day before my 40th birthday, she explained. His explanation was even more interesting. I was 50 myself and had never married because I considered matrimony an unsafe risk, he said. Most of the women I knew were undependable, putting up a fine show when an eligible man appeared in the offing, 
but slumping back when alone with women and failing generally to live up to the sample. I watched Rona for several years with no idea of marrying her. When I began to admire and like her, I started testing her to see when she would deteriorate like all the rest. I contrived a hundred unexpected times and ways to see her. After a hard day of work when she was tired, after she had, to my knowledge, lost a good deal of money to a worthless relative and a good many other times. But she was always the same, 100%. After keeping tab on her for two years and a half, I couldn't wait any longer to tell her how much I cared for her. And this is the sequel. One of the most dramatic things to me was that this man was on the very verge of proposing to her at the time of my previous visit when I was so anxious for her to find happiness quickly. Fate was waiting just around the corner, and we never suspected it. She was nearing the great door she had looked for so long and found it largely because she did not despair, but kept looking with the enthusiasm and earnestness of old. Harriet Beecher Stowe said, when everything goes against you and it seems as if you couldn't hold out a minute longer, never give up then, for that is just the place and time the tide will turn. These great laws apply equally in the world of business and every other field of human endeavor. Hundreds of office workers have asked me why they were not getting as much pay as they should and why they were always refused when they asked for a raise. They have been especially anxious to know why others who had been with the firm a shorter period were often promoted over them and given higher salaries. As this happens to an average of about a million people every working day throughout this country, it is an interesting subject. If you are not getting more pay now than you were a year ago, you are violating the very rules that lead to financial advancement. Take a good, straight look at yourself and see. First of all, I have said to them, as I now say to you, what have you been doing to prepare for higher pay? Do you know more? Have you studied your job to see wherein you could do more and better and quicker work than you were doing last year? Remember, you're merely having been there for a long time is no reason whatever for any firms raising your pay. In fact, it is a reason for lowering it if you are not improving. For the man who is not going forward, is sliding back. If you are doing your work this year no better than you were last, you are not doing it as well. This may not sound right at first, but read it again and then think it over. Second, when you went to ask for your raise, you did not expect to get it. You fully expected to be turned down and even had your answer ready and your conduct planned for that very thing. In most cases you had, all rehearsed and waiting, the speech you would make to the rest of the force when you confided to them your experience with the boss. Third, if you found no ways to improve your work and thus to secure a raise, it was because you did not look for them. There is not a job in the world nor any piece of work, however small, that is at this moment being done as well or efficiently or quickly or economically as it could be. Keep your eyes open for some or all of these, and you will find them. Fourth, you have been stepping and stumbling all over these weak spots in your job without recognizing them. Furthermore, all kinds of ways for promoting yourself have been right under your nose, and you also failed to recognize them. Fifth, if you have recognized ways for improving your work but have done nothing about it, 
still it will do you no good. One or all of these things you have failed to do if you are not getting a bigger pay envelope than you were this time last year. Look yourself over and see in which one or two of these requirements you are naturally weak. Do you merely hope for a raise without ever expecting to get one? With the dejected spirit that says, oh, I hope so, but... This kind of bluff never fools your great subconscious factory one minute. It knows that the butt and the tone of your voice tell your true mood and give your real order, which it proceeds to deliver. Do you really look and search for chances to be promoted, but never get around to deserving a higher place? Do you tend to look for a loophole somewhere through which you may squeeze yourself into something better? It can't be done. Every loophole is being watched, just like the entrance to the big league ball games. And anybody who tries to slip through gets caught and sent back. People who are brainy enough to build a successful business are not so blind, especially concerning human nature, as to leave holes in the fence. If this is not your weakness, perhaps you are of the opposite kind, a plotter who works his head off for a big concern without protecting his own interests sufficiently to let the right man know of his existence. As between the overprepared man of reserve and the underprepared man of nerve, the prizes all too often go to the latter. True, he cannot keep them if he does not buckle in and hurry to fill the new place, but one needs some of both. Get ready, and then don't fail to let the boss know you are ready. Let your work speak for you is a wonderful motto. You will not get far nor stay where you get unless it does. But it talks only one language, and there are others. Every business concern wants two things in every one of its workers who meet the outside world, efficiency and self-confidence. If you lack the self-confidence to stand up for yourself and your own advancement, the boss knows you will never be able to go out and get business. It is the one who can bring in business, not merely do it afterward, who gets the best pay in the long run. If you have prepared for and looked for opportunities but have found none, it may be possible that you have what is to you a blind alley job. Either it has few possibilities or you do not happen to have the type of mind that is adapted to this particular kind of work. James J. Hill said, Two men may be in the same office working side by side in the same line, one a decided success and the other almost a failure. But this does not necessarily mean that the successful one is more brilliant or able than the other. In fact, I have often found that the failure was a failure in that particular place because his mind did not happen to be built for this kind of work, but for something far better. If you have done your level best in the way of preparation, if you have then looked for and taken advantage of every opening to better yourself, if you have brought the attention of those in authority to your conscientious work, your willingness, loyalty, and resourcefulness, yet still have made no progress, it is certain you have worked out your mind, as the Westerners say, and should look elsewhere. But never fear, your preparation in this place will be rewarded in the next. It will stand you in hand when you least expect it to. It has already developed you, whether you now realize it or not, and the larger place is waiting for the larger man it has made of you. You will be better able to find the next opportunity and to utilize it.
John Blake, that writer of inspiring short talks which appear in many newspapers daily, said, If you picked up a diamond in the rough, you would probably toss it away again. Without training, you would not know it was a diamond. Every day you pass by, unnoticing, opportunities that other men instantly recognize and bend to their uses. Your neglect is not your fault. Without preparation, you cannot expect to recognize your opportunity. For many years, people regarded anthracite coal as useless black stone, too soft for building material, too hard for fuel. One day, somebody discovered that in the proper stove, it would burn better than bituminous coal and make no smoke. From that day, it became a valuable commodity. Don't expect opportunity to come and introduce itself to you. Don't expect it even to knock at your door. You must learn to look for it. You must learn to see in some particular position a chance of advancement that other positions lack, although these others may pay far better wages just now. You must learn to see in some calling an interest that will enlist your enthusiasm. The men who get important places and hold them are the men who not only are searching for opportunity, but have learned to recognize it when they see it. You cannot be a lucky gold hunter unless you find out where the gold is likely to be and what it looks like in the quartz or gold-bearing sand. And opportunity, which is far finer gold than any that is buried in the earth, is still harder to recognize, but fortunately, not anything like so rare. Here are a few keys to some of the greater doors of opportunity. Key one, time. Invest your time. Don't merely spend it. He will go furthest and fastest who better utilizes his time. Every person has more or less spare time, enough to remake his life if he would use it properly. No one need lack for opportunity as long as he has a few hours a day to use as he chooses. The first great difference you will find between the failures and the successes is that the failures have not considered their time worth much, while the successful have always seen in it their greatest capital. Whenever you hear a man talking about having so much time on his hands to kill, you are looking at one who is headed straight downhill. But when you find someone of any age or station who puts a premium on his time, you are looking at one who is going to climb. No matter how long your working day may be, you have certain hours each day or week that belong to you. If you will organize your time outside of office hours, you can increase your ability, chances, and bank account. Time wasters never find the big doors of opportunity. One of the chief reasons for Franklin's fame was his determination to use all his time for worthwhile things. He tells in his autobiography how he pledged himself never to waste a single moment. Of course, this was a little extreme, but holding it up as a standard for himself had much to do with his becoming one of the most outstanding men of the day in which he lived. Nothing in the world can hold you back if you use your spare time wisely. This habit brings many incidental blessings as well as the wonderful direct ones. Here are a few. It keeps our minds on something worthy and keeps them away from the trashy thoughts that soon infest the idler's head. Ever listen to the conversation of a street corner loafer? It keeps us out of temptation. The devil finds work for idle hands to do. 
It keeps us away from those who would harm us. Those who prey upon mankind avoid the time savers and concentrate on the only ones who are good prospects, the people who place no value on time. It keeps us out of wrong environments. The worst places in the world are those where most time is thrown away by the most ignorant people, and the best are those where intelligent ones gather to improve their time and their minds. Ask any criminal how he got his downward start, and he will tell you it began with the misuse of his spare hours. Ask any successful happy man how he got his start, and it will not be five minutes until you hear something like this. I began to use my spare time for self-improvement. I read and studied. I especially studied myself and my abilities. In my younger days, I wrote on a big newspaper that made a specialty of studying the life stories of great men and women. In interviewing them, I made the discovery that they had, without a single exception, capitalized their spare time. Not one of them had money or opportunities to start with. On the contrary, they had less than the average, but they rose to the heights. Each had made a practice of throwing no more time away than was absolutely necessary. Each had thought of his time as his great opportunity, and by employing it properly, found many other chances waiting when the time came. Regardless of where you are now, you can go pretty nearly as far as you please if you will start today to invest the hours you have been throwing away. If you cannot plan any special program just at this moment, don't let this keep you from doing something helpful with the time which must elapse until you can decide on a schedule. Begin this very evening to apply your precious hours to something worthwhile. Read a dictionary if nothing else is available. You will be surprised how much you can learn in 10 minutes that you never supposed was in it. Make up a definite program as soon as possible, but meanwhile, don't throw hours away. If no better plan suggests itself, go out alone for a long walk this evening and think out what you want to become and to have and the best way to start toward it from the spot where you are right now. If you have been in the habit of killing this best friend you have every few evenings by dropping into a trashy movie, a pool room, or the home of shallow, selfish, superficial people, sit down all by yourself and answer this question. How much better off am I for all the cheap shows I have seen? Did they ever open for me a door toward better things? You will realize they have slammed many a one in your face. Are you better off today for the golden evenings you have wiled away with ambitionless excitement seekers? On the contrary, you have lost many a dollar, many a good night's rest, and many a good chance by doing so. How much farther along the road of health, happiness, and success are you as a result of listening to gossip, talking about people, or exposing the weak points in the other fellow's armor? But you have fallen back many a mile for it. How much gain in health, happiness, or success can you credit to the habit of drifting with the crowd evening after evening? You want more money, more recognition, more opportunities. Ever have anybody step up and say, here's a raise, John. I saw you out late with that gay crowd last night. Ever get a letter in the mail which read, dear George, I have been watching your record. I see you haven't missed a vaudeville or one of the follies in over a year. I don't believe you have missed a single jazzy thing of any kind lately. Come on.
come over and accept a good position with my firm at a substantial raise. Ever have this experience? Meet some big employer as you came out of a pool room at 11 p.m. and have him say, why, hello there, young man. I'm looking for somebody of brains, vision, and efficiency to take charge of a department at a fine salary, and I figured here was the place to find one. You find young women who want a nice home and husband and children someday? Did you ever have a young man who's working for the best in life and who will get it because he capitalizes his own spare time? Say to you, I want you to marry me because I notice you never spend an evening at home. The minute dinner's over, out you fly till goodness knows when, and I've decided you'd be a wonderful wife. I can hear some of you saying, if we stayed home every night and studied our heads off, we'd never get married. You have to keep going to meet anybody. Yes, to meet just anybody. But to get one who is somebody and have him for your very own, you've got to be somebody yourself. And you can't be if you spend your spare time like the anybody's. Key two, spirit. Approach every person, situation, and condition, everything in your life, in the right spirit. By this is meant the spirit of fairness, not trying to get anything that is not rightfully yours. The spirit of tolerance for everyone, regardless of what his faults may be. The spirit of kindness toward all mankind. And the spirit of truth, the best of which you are aware. You will see from this rule and the one which immediately follows that the doors of opportunity are of many kinds, each important to our full development and progress. You cannot expect those leading to better things to be thrown open to you if, in your own soul, you have closed the doors of your heart to your fellow man. I have known many ordinary people to go high and far to attain the best that life holds, owing almost wholly to their loving kindness and tolerance. Sam Walter Foss, one of the most beloved American poets, rose to fame upon the homely songs he sung to voice his love for common, everyday folks, the thing for which Abraham Lincoln became the most famous and for which he will be loved longest was the love and tolerance he bore toward all mankind. I have known many others of great and glowing mentality who missed not only greatness, but the very necessities of life because they thought only of themselves. Approaching life in the right spirit will cause hundreds of doors you would otherwise miss to swing noiselessly open for you. As you pass through them to deeper, wider, fuller life and a nobler future, you will sometimes feel them held open for you by unseen hands to which your own, perhaps years ago, were stretched out in mercy, generosity, or friendliness. Key three, personality. Study your own and develop it. You have certain personality traits and tendencies, some good, some negative, and some neutral. Try by every means at your command to discover what these are, not with a view merely to satisfying natural curiosity about yourself, but with the determination to weed out the negative, bring out the neutral, and cultivate the good. Personality will open one of the widest of opportunities doors. Through an attractive personality, more quickly than by any other means, you may rise to fame and fortune. 
If your personality is unattractive, you do not find this big door, which leads so straightly and surely and swiftly into better things, and may be compelled by long and arduous effort to seek out smaller, remoter ones to reach the same room of your desires. You've sometimes wondered why friends, promotions, and business opportunities which you felt you had earned by hard work passed you by. This is because hard work never brings the greatest things in life. It helps. It is one of the great essentials, but there are others of even greater importance, and one of these is personality. The people who work hardest often get the least pay and make little progress. We know today that hard work, unless backed by headwork and heart work, will never carry one to the heights. Because we must live with, work with, associate with, and deal with other people, it behooves us to know all we can about the power of all others which repels or attracts people, one's own personality. Attractive personality makes others like us, want to be with us, promote us, and help us. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself what your acquaintances think of you? Do they like you, dislike you, or simply forget you? Do you think you make a good first impression or the wrong impression? Did it ever occur to you that every individual you meet affects you in one of three ways within five minutes after he begins to speak to you, and that this is also true of every person who meets you? I call these the five eyes. You can remember them by printing this little table on your mind. I impress everybody who meets me in one of these three ways. Either I irritate them, interest them, or leave them indifferent to me. Which? It is impossible for you to meet anyone and talk with him without feeling toward him in one of these three ways. Ask to explain why you feel as you do or to specify what you like or dislike, you may not be able to do so. We can explain only that which is clear to our conscious minds. And the reason for this impression is not always conscious, but you have a very definite subconscious impression. The less you can explain it, the more deep-rooted it is likely to be. Such a feeling started the well-known little verse, I do not like you, Dr. Fell. The reason why, I cannot tell. I only know, and know full well, I do not like you, Dr. Fell. On the other hand, you like certain people instantly. Others leave you with the feeling that you have been looking at a blank space on the wall. Each impression is due to the personality of the individual himself. To begin to understand your own, it will be well for you to ask yourself the following questions. Which of my traits do people like? Which do they dislike? What in my manner, expression voice, personal appearance, or attitude has been interfering with my success? How can I make people enjoy seeing me, doing business with me, visiting with me, listening to me, working with me? Which do I have more of, friends or enemies? Do I have more or fewer friends than most of the people I associate with? How can I put my best foot forward in every instance and keep it there? What should I do to make more people remember me kindly, speak to me constructively, think of me frequently, and seek me happily?
Is it not possible that there may be something in my own personality that causes almost everybody to treat me in certain ways? Have I any unpleasant mannerisms? What do I do that rubs people the wrong way? What within myself is holding me back? What within myself sometimes causes people to impose on me, neglect me, criticize me? Why do I not get more invitations from the people and to the places I would most enjoy? Why have I lost friends in the past? What more than anything else about me do most people seem to admire? Is this thing real or only an affectation? There are many more such questions, but these will give you a fair idea of the kinds of things to look for in yourself. It is essential that you correct them if you want the great door of opportunity to swing wide for you. A man's personality, utterly regardless of his merits or faults, can induce us to long to promote him or to hold him back, long to help him or to see him fight it out alone, long to vote for him or to see him defeated, sacrifice ourselves for him or pass him by. The same is true of your own. Though you possess beauty, brains, money, and position, yet have a repellent personality, you can live and die unloved and unsuccessful. Though you have none of these, yet develop a winning personality, you may acquire by this alone almost anything you desire. Ugliness, poverty, obscurity, these are but pebbles in the pathway to those of a magnetic personality. Learn to do this by eliminating the negative, obviating the neutral, and cultivating the affirmative traits of your own nature. The location of many of the great doors of opportunity can best be discovered by studying yourself. Often they will open for you when they would not for others because you hold the key to them in your own innate capacities. Key four, health. Safeguard your health. The average man is committing suicide by inches, digging his grave with his teeth and driving nails into his own coffin with stimulants, dissipation, lack of rest, or other forms of bodily abuse. That he does so ignorantly and innocently does not alter the facts nor minimize their results. Every person should avail himself of science's latest discoveries about food, care of the body, longevity, and vitality. Certain foods, especially meat, which have long composed much of our American dietary, have been found to be useless and some actually harmful, while others we have always neglected we now know are far more nutritious. If you wish to be equal to your big chances when they come, you must have a strong body, a steady nerve, and plenty of physical energy. These are easy to acquire if you will live according to the laws of your body and not according to the dictates of your appetites. Overweight is dangerous, and extreme underweight is also. A certain amount of exercise, of the kind you really enjoy, is necessary to bodily vigor. Eight hours of sleep is necessary for the average man or woman. Stimulants, late parties, dissipation of your vital energies through harmful channels of any kind cut down the quantity of life and ruin its quality. Take care of your health, even if it does prevent your going out socially once in a while. Trying to keep up with their neighbors or to outshine them has slammed opportunity's door in the faces of many worthy men and women.
Without health, all the wealth in the world would be useless to you. Health cannot be bought, borrowed, or stolen, but it can be conserved. Key five, the conscious mind. Guard your thinking. Destructive thought has killed more people than all the wars. Worry wrecks more homes and ruins more happiness than all other inimical forces combined. Make it your business during the next year to watch your thinking and make it constructive all the time. In accordance with what we have taught in the first lessons of this course and in our other course, Practical Psychology. The latter explains the conscious mind, its powers and possibilities, as the present course explains the subconscious. Watch your visualizations. Always picture yourself in the position you wish to occupy, never in your present one or in any position of unhappiness. No matter what the bare facts may be at the time, no matter how discouraging the actual conditions, no matter how depressing your situation or environment, refuse to think of these things. Turn your attention to other and better things, preferably to something you want. Every time it reverts to the unhappy present, turn it gently but persistently in the direction of your desires. Key six, your brain. Learn as much about the human brain as you can. Yours operates in accordance with certain very definite laws. Much information concerning the kind of brain, in general, that any man possesses can be seen from the general proportions of his head. I am not referring to the old phrenology, but to the new science of brainology, which is based on brain anatomy and upon the new discoveries about brain areas. Much of phrenology was scientific. It became discredited only when the unscientific attempted to exploit it. Key seven, your individuality. In addition to a study of your personality, which is best defined as the sum total of what you express to the world, give earnest thought to your own individuality. That is, the particular qualities which, more than all others, seem to constitute the core and kernel of you. Make up your mind to be yourself, to fill the place you were born to fill, to think your own thoughts, live your own life to the fullest, highest, and best of which you are capable. Learn to believe in yourself, not conceitedly, egotistically, nor vainly, but with the self-confidence born of the realization that you can do what you want to do. It is what you are that counts in the end and long before the end. Worth, ability, character, and individuality are so rare, so valuable, and so much in demand that yours will be rewarded more fully and quickly than you can believe once you develop them and give the world a chance to see them. You are unique. No one quite like you ever lived before, and none exactly like you will ever live again. Make the most of your differentness. When you are misjudged, criticized, ridiculed, or misunderstood, just remember that every person who ever amounted to a hill of beans was criticized, but seldom by his betters. When a man tells an unkind story on another, he is telling a worse one on himself. So long as people talk about you, you are not dead. Also, people do not take the trouble to criticize those they consider their inferiors. 
As a matter of fact, the highest compliment that can be paid to you by certain kinds of people is their criticism. That it is unintended only makes it that much more genuine. Key eight, your right vocation. If you want one of the very largest, widest doors of all to open to you and later on to open many others for you, study one more thing about yourself, what you would love to do. To begin to get an accurate idea of the kind of vocation you were born to follow, if you do not already know this, think back and ask yourself, what kinds of things you enjoyed doing in your teens? In other words, what kinds of activities did you engage in during that time of your own free will during leisure and vacation time? Here is an amazing and fascinating fact recently discovered. Every person who has succeeded signally in any vocation has shown a decided gravitation toward its activities between his or her 12th and 20th years. The great subconscious mind never sleeps, never rests, and never forgets. If you will get into the work you love, it will find doors of opportunity for you that you cannot now even dream of. What we love to do the subconscious mind is always concentrated upon. For this reason, it forever seeks out newer and better ways of approaching perfection in anything we love. Every invention and every improvement of importance in any line has always been worked out in the subconscious mind of somebody who loved that kind of activity and whose mind, therefore, worked on it automatically, day and night, asleep or awake. You will never do your highest or best outside of work you love. And no matter what your age may be, you could soon outstrip competition if you would enter the vocation you have always loved. This success will come to you for two big reasons. First, because your subconscious is full of ability along this very line and will give it to you immediately. Second, because most of your competitors will have gone into it without enthusiasm and their subconscious minds, therefore, give them no such assistance. Key nine, personal appearance. Take pride in your dress, grooming, cleanliness, taste, and personal appearance. Your personal appearance is a walking advertisement. If the business in which you are engaged is owned by another, your poor appearance discredits his business, and he resents it. If you take pains with your personal self, you are a better reflection of him and his business, and he appreciates it. I do not mean that you should dress expensively. Quite the contrary. But you should dress neatly and in clean linen, so quietly that no one is conscious of what you have on, but aware, subconsciously, that you look well. Kathleen Norris says, A woman is well-dressed when she can bear the closest scrutiny of others, but when nobody turns to look. Certain colors, styles, and lines go best with your particular complexion, figure, age, and height. Learn what these are and use them. You will find that confining yourself to the few colors and shades most becoming to you will enable you to dress far more becomingly, yet more reasonably, than you have been doing. Key 10. The Five Types People, like all other creatures of every species, fall into general classifications. The five biological types are science's most recent grouping. 
This classification is also more fundamental and simple than previous ones. Certain people, by reason of their power or position, often command important doors through which you should pass if you are to make the greatest progress in the shortest period of time. Your boss, chief clerk, the president of the concern, your neighbor, your employee, your friend or loved one, all of these affect your life. Any of them may hold a key to the very door which comes next in your onward march. They command the next step up, as it were, and their approval or disapproval, assistance or resistance, may make or mar your chances at a critical moment. After a study of your own nature and of general human psychology, an understanding of each of the human types will often help you in winning such a one. Also, it will help you greatly in recognizing your own weak and strong points. Human analysis teaches you how to avoid what each type always resents and how to approach and deal with each in the manner his type always prefers. For instance, certain things which always please a fat man always displease a thin one. Certain methods which always win a florid, high-chested man irritate the pale, long-faced one. Treatment which appeals to the small man irritates the large one. And certain actions which leave other types unruffled arouse instant and fiery anger in another. These and hundreds of other vital factors can be seen at a glance when you have familiarized yourself with the meaning of bodily size, shape, and structure. Remember that every person you meet can, in some degree, help you onward or hold you back and that he will do the one or the other largely as a result of your treatment of him personally. An understanding of the five types of human beings gives you a passkey to many doors.